0: Hello and welcome back to our podcast ayahuasca assisted therapy my name is Nina Itzel and i'm here today with greg Shanken. and i'm so happy to have this conversation we were trying to set this up for a while and always nice to meet you know a fellow traveler on the plant medicine path and uh, yeah uh, he's in colorado and that's where he is doing his good work and i think you are like a unique person that you have uh, feet in both worlds because you have quite a you know your company a technological company a computer you will talk talk about it if you want and then you have you know this other path with with the plants and and all that so welcome to the podcast
1: thank you thank you for having me great to be here Nina
0: and uh, we just start with our usual question because I think it's important you know when 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 people just get to know somebody to hear their personal story and uh, it's always so good to to learn from each other that way because I think it's almost like you know a teaching (laughs) a teaching lesson in there so if you want to share a little bit about your personal journey and how did you you know come to the plant medicine world and and how did it affect your life personally
1: yes thank you so my journey obviously started before I was born and when I was born, but in terms of how it brought me to this point and really why we're, why we connected and sitting here today started about two years ago when I realized that my life was stagnating in many ways. Um, I'm blessed to have a soulmate of a wife and two beautiful children. And I live in Colorado and um a business and so many things to be thankful for and grateful for and I never lost sight of that but I just felt like I wasn't living my truth and and living with passion and I kind of sat with that for a while and realized that it fell into that age-old cliche the definition definition of insanity doing the same things over and over and expecting different results um and, and that's what was happening: lack of uh, change in results. I was seeking, you know, a quantum leap—leap, leap, not, not necessarily magic, but something different. Um, however, at the same time, um, I was recognizing that many of the things that I was trying, such as the law of attraction, for example, or hypnosis, or different modalities and health and wellness strategies. Um, some of which are very proven, weren't having the effect that I wanted them to have on me. So same thing, definition of insanity. But that led to me realizing what I'll speak more about later in my story, part of my core wounding, which is this notion of there's something wrong with me. Because if hypnosis is working for my friend to help her stop biting her nails, which actually was something I was dealing with and tried hypnosis for, but it didn't help me stopping biting my nails. So, you know, it it frustrating on two levels. Why isn't that working for me? And then, well, what's wrong with me? Um, I was so I decided to go back into therapy. I had been in and out of therapy throughout my adult life. And as a not even a side note, but an important note. My father happens to be a psychiatrist. My mother is a psychologist. Um, they're still alive. I have a wonderful relationship with them. Um, but uh, <laughs> I remember growing up, people would say, wow, your parents are therapists. You must be really effed up. And I'd say, no, no, like I'm so lucky. And and I was so lucky in so many ways, but I can see now, and I'll probably touch on that more as well, how um, some of that tied to, to my, you know, core wounding and need for healing. And so um, I went back into therapy and I remember one of the first sessions, the therapist said, well, you know, I was sharing something and he said, well, where do you feel, where do you feel this in your body? Um, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean feel in your body? Uh, you know, I'm upset, I'm depressed. Um, And, and that's really my big challenge, depression. Um, that's how my Wounding manifested. Um, I, I should also mention that at the time, I had been on prescription meds for ten and twenty years. So, Wellbutrin for uh, twenty years and Zoloft for ten years. Zoloft is an, is an SSRI, and its job and it does its job very well is that it helps um, it helps helps depression, but it does not heal depression. And the way it does it, I I won't explain it chemically, but the way it worked for me was to basically cut off those low points, the sad depression, but um, I came to learn, again, I'll touch on later, it also cut off the high point. So it basically brings you into like a mid-range of emotion and feeling, which, quote, helps you carry on your day-to-day life, depression-free or mostly depression-free. It did a great job of doing that. Um, And I I always, whenever I share, I always make sure to say, I'm not here to condemn prescription medication. Everyone must make their own decisions. They aren't inherently bad. Most things aren't inherently bad uh, or inherently good for that matter. But the price I was paying, I started to realize in going back into therapy and through therapy and uh, helping me see that I was very disembodied. I was really Feeling, I, I was operating from the neck up, you know, brain only, cognitive only. Unfortunately, I've been blessed with a pretty good brain and it, you know, it took me pretty far. But, you know, in many cases, people would ask me, as people do, you know, what does your gut say? What does your intuition say? And kind of the same thing. I'd be like, I don't know. Uh, let's like figure it out. You know, let's put it on a spreadsheet. Let's make a list of pros and cons. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are good tools. But, For any of you listening um, who have very strong intuition and really rely on your gut just imagine switching that off and that's the switch that was off within me Um, and so when my therapist said where do you feel it i would literally was like it didn't even it didn't even compute (laughs) Um, so that was one big awakening for me just recognizing that this is before i really even became aware of psychedelic healing and those types of, of of treatments. Um, and I then, um, became good friends with a psychedelic healer and start, he started to educate me on, um, plant medicines and psychedelic healing. And, um, and I really became, um, intrigued by ayahuasca. However, to do ayahuasca safely, as you know, Nina, you must be off. You know, there are many safety protocols. One of one of the biggies is you must not be on SSRI medications. And I actually had tried at that point a couple of times to titrate off of those meds, not even for ayahuasca or plant medicines, but just um, because I wanted to be off of them. And I started noticing some of these, um, you know, how, how they were holding me back in certain ways, as I've shared. And I became depressed again. Um, But this time, um, after doing a lot of research and um, guidance from my friend, uh, I decided to take the plunge and scheduled my first ayahuasca retreat for January of 2022. So only about 13 months ago. And leading up to that ceremony, um, I prepped in many ways. So. I titrated off the meds in a safe way. Um, my last day was December 31st, 2021, so it was about two weeks before my ceremony. I prepped with a variety of health and wellness um, strategies, like yoga, meditation, things that I actually had been doing already, but also microdosing psilocybin was helpful in that. And then also, I think just knowing that I was doing this with a purpose and with a date, and really intent on seeing it through, um, and so that led to the first ayahuasca ceremony mid-January of 2022. Um, And that obviously was uh, a very huge milestone in my journey. Um, It was a two-day ceremony, two-night ceremony. Um, The the morning of the first ceremony, the shaman recommended that I do combo just as a, uh, you know, Uh, really just as a safety measure, even though I had been off the meds. So I was fortunate enough that the shaman was also an inner child coach as well. And so before she um, administered the combo, she took me on an inner child journey. Um, And at this point, I should probably just reflect back and say, one of the other prices that that I paid by being on these SSRI meds was, as I mentioned, they cut off the lows. So that cuts off the day-to-day you know, mood, feeling down, but also crying. So I could say to you that the number of times I would cried in the past dozen years before this journey was the number of funerals I attended. So I still, of course, felt enough at a funeral to cry, but um, really just had that part of me, like, as I explained, just kind of disembodied. And um, so... I'd cried a couple of times leading up to the ayahuasca ceremony. So already just being off the meds sort of opened me up. And then before the combo was uh, administered, she took me on an inner child journey and that just completely opened the, uh, the waterworks, the floodgates. So this is before any medicine had been served um, just huge release. She took me back on a, you know, an inner child journey. I should also mention that at that point I'd switched therapists to, I'm one who specializes in parts therapy or IFS, internal family systems. So the inner child journey is very it, it lined up with the therapeutic approach that I've sort of been engaged in for the previous several months. And I remember when after the combo ceremony was over, I said, or after the inner child journey was over, I said, oh, so um, that combo really works well. And she said, well, I haven't even given it to you yet. Um, And I'm just kidding, because I knew that she hadn't. But it was like, wow, all this—I (laughs) didn't know medicine yet. (laughs) Um, So then I had that, you know, combo experience, and then that led into the ayahuasca retreat. Um, The first night of which was completely buoyant. Um, I've never—I've laughed a lot in my life. I love to laugh, um, and I've never laughed so hard in my life. And it was like, wow, this, because I obviously did my research and I knew how hard ayahuasca could be. And this is fun. This is awesome. Wow. But I also knew, at least anecdotally, that every night is different. and um, The second night was the most terrifying experience of my life. Um, I, I, I truly became convinced that... I wasn't coming out of it, you know, I guess the definition of a bad trip, you know, stuck here forever, not coming out, lost total sense of reality. I really, I thought I might even be having a psychotic break, um, which can happen if you're not properly off the SSRIs, which of course I had been, but of course, all reason was thrown out the window at that point. Um, And so what I, among many other um, learnings, was that grandmother was showing me the first night, that high, the high that had been cut off. And when I say high, I don't mean in like a recreational sense, but just kind of the upper end of that range of emotion. And then the second night, she certainly showed me <laughs> the down. So basically, that retreat really um, showed me that full range of emotion that had been so cut off the previous you know, 10, 20 years. Um, so, I mean, I could pause there if you want to prompt me further, ask me questions, but that was kind of like what brought me to my first experience. And then of course it progressed from there and many other, um, I
0: do have some questions Uh, a couple of things I think so many people can relate to what you were describing this this disembodied experience and to be stuck in the head and disconnected from the physical body and also from the emotional aspect or either completely disconnect from emotions which is kind of like an emotional shutdown that you describe that you are not able to feel fully that full range right or it can be completely losing, you know, that a bit co- people can completely shut down and not feel, you know, any emotion as well. So, and and I do believe, you know, that depression, my mom has depression, like, and she got sick when I was like 14. So uh, she has bipolar disorder. And um, I, I did like so much, um, just research on it and I also work with many people as my clients who had depression and one of the things that I observed and I would love to hear what you think about it that uh, it's an emotional dysregulation and it's very much connected to anger to suppressed anger these people have difficulty to express anger you know in any kind of way so they just keep like swallowing it down, swallowing it down, and that anger that has no way of being released and turns against the person becomes this depression, this like um, feeling of powerlessness and there's no point of doing anything, you know, kind of way and um so i think that definitely depression in particular is very connected to emotions and i think that this what you describe this type of emotional dysregulation uh is is you know i then the, the medicine started to you know show you and hear you that full range so what do you think about that and especially with the anger do you have any experience on
1: this yes yeah, so what what I've learned through this journey, I, I completely agree, depression is based on dysregulation and a powerlessness. I won't say that I um, have extreme deep-seated anger, but for me, I can now see with this work and continued therapy and continued integration, because as you know, Nina, it never ends, um, is for me, it came from um, childhood trauma, what some people call lowercase T trauma or micro trauma. So when I look back at my childhood, I was lucky to have two parents who stayed together, are still together, loving parents in the mental health mental health field. But yet, where did that trauma come from? So for me, it's been so hard to identify the source of that trauma because I didn't have, you know, grow up with addiction in the household or abuse or. So that's why when I said before, people would say, wow, you, your parents are therapists. You must be really screwed up. I'd say, no, I'm I'm, I'm pretty freaking normal. <laughs> I can now see that childhood trauma. And so for me, maybe not so much from anger, but certainly the powerlessness and certainly stemming from um, not being seen and my struggles not being seen or at least not being, or if they were seen, not being addressed. And what made it even harder was that my parents were always there for me. So if I went to them, they would never shut me down or tell me I was stupid or deal with this yourself. Like they were there and, and I did um, go to them for support in certain ways, but in other ways I I did not. Um, one example being they sent me to a very progressive private elementary school, which was very heart-centered and small classes. And we were really seen at that school. And it was in this idyllic, beautiful se- I mean, it was just like a paradise for school. I didn't even know there was such a thing of hating school. I loved school. School was fun. They made it fun. And then in seventh grade, middle school, they switched me to public school, but really with no uh, preparation. So all of a sudden, just going from this beautiful, wonderful playland which was called school into what felt like a prison to me from day 1 of 7th grade until I graduated high school and i really 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 struggled not scholastically but i it just it felt like prison to me counting down the minutes counting down the days like it truly felt like it would never end kind of like the second night of my first ayahuasca retreat like I was stuck here forever. Every minute felt like an hour, every hour, a day, you know? And so um, I didn't ask for help. I just kind of thought that like at that point, oh, everyone hates school. Kind of like everyone hates the dentist. I I joke with my wife, I hate the dentist. And she says, well, I hate the dentist more. I said, you can't hate the dentist more. We all hate the dentist. Nobody gets to hate it more. We all hate it. So I just kind of suffered silently and it wasn't seen. I hold no anger or blame too much for my parents, as I mentioned. Fortunate that, uh, in so many ways, that they are. I mean, I love them, but they they didn't see it. And now, as a parent, you know they they did the best they could from where they were, and they did many amazing things with me and my siblings, and they made mistakes. Just as man, I shudder to think at the mistakes I'm making with my children, even though I'm trying to parents in the best possible way. So no no anger or anything like that, but to your question led to feelings of powerlessness and isolation. Um, an event happened when I was about seven where I was playing with my younger brother and sister and my mom was on the phone talking to a friend in the other room and I heard her just her say, oh, um, the, boys, the boys love playing with my sister. Um, they fight over her attention. And as soon as I heard her say that, even though it wasn't meant for my ears, Something snapped in me that made me not want. If my mom was, even though she didn't mean to create a competition, she used that word, they compete for her attention. And I immediately to myself said, If this is a competition, I'm out. I'm not. And I pulled away, maybe not right in that very moment, but I pulled away from my siblings at a young age. And that was another thing that wasn't seen and dealt with in. A way that would have healed that led me to isolate, feel powerless, um, and now I can see, among many other things, led to um, led to depression. And um, a few things I'll share about depression. Two of them come from my father, who's a psychiatrist, and he describes depression in two ways. One is imagine you're looking outside and you see a beautiful sunny day, but you're wearing sunglasses, and so. You're seeing that it's a beautiful day out, but it's being shaded. And the other way he says that to really put words around that metaphor is, quote, that mood trumps cognition. So I can look around at my life and say, I have an amazing wife, amazing family, friends, and all these wonderful things. Yes, all true. But yet the mood, the depression trumps it. Take it. It wins. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: think uh, there is a really good book, Sylvia Plath, uh, The Glass Jar, and uh, she had also struggled from depression or with depression, and she described it with this analogy or this metaphor that for her, it was like being under a glass jar that is, you know, that type of disconnectedness and disembodied and disconnected from the feeling, you know, that you describe. And, uh, you know, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, the medications are not healing, (laughs) you know, the the depression, they just make you function better in the world by taking the edges off, right? So they are not dealing with the cause, they are not healing, you know, and of course, that's why most people stay on the medication for so long. And then the other, you know, as you said, the side effects of the medication that, they disconnect you you know, they disconnect you from from yourself from your body from your feelings you know and 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 uh, it's it's um you know that has other consequences as well so um now in in comparing to that now you went for a plant medicine journey with the ayahuasca and we always say that, you know, she helps us to see the root of the problems and you were taken back and you were able to see the connection between a chain of events, you know, in your life and how that led to the current challenges that you were experiencing. And hopefully, you know, how to change things and how to go about healing. So it's like one year now, like, what can you say? What, what did, what did change, you know, thanks to that experience?
1: Yeah. So coming out of that first retreat, um, obviously everything had changed. I'm sure you hear this a lot in your travels and I certainly do. And I remember a friend asking me, how was it? And I said, it was the most. And she just started laughing when I said it was the most because everyone who starts, right. It was the most amazing, you know, da, 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 da. Um, And I came back feeling pretty amazing. Um, You know, just overflowing with gratitude and ideas and creativity and um and wanting to know more so at that point I had experienced the medicine and grandmother but I didn't have a deep understanding of the tri- you know a lot of the traditions and the heritage and the history and I kind of just started um devouring all you know th- that type of information just books and podcasts and um just really wanting to like just Again and and go, go deeper, really go deeper, um, and it also started the spark of how I could start to align my career with this, you know, awakening that I was having, and so you know I could talk about it later, but I you know I have a web development digital marketing agency that's twelve years old, but starting to you know coming out of that experience, saying, well, how can I, you know, marry these two pieces of my life together in a way that feels more aligned and living my truth. And so kind of like the spark of that was ignited. And I started at that point, we were still in the COVID days. I started attending meetup groups around the country, you know, virtual meetup groups, and just like leaning in, you know, just like seeking community. Um, How can I learn? How can I connect? How can I meet people that know a lot more about this than me and can give me their stories and experiences and knowledge? And so that was kind of the next you know, steps forward um, in my journey. And then, about a month after that retreat, um depression started coming back just like a little bit and then a little more. And it was very uh, it was sad. it was yeah, it was it was terrible. <laughs> um, on one hand, I didn't necessarily think it was a one and done. you know, magic. it's over. I didn't think that. But on the other hand, um, it was obviously very upsetting that depression was coming back. Like, here it is again. And um, so I started then, you know, getting ready for the second ceremony. That was last April, and that was a three, three-day ceremony. What was really powerful about that one was that it was paired with breath work. So three nights of medicine, three mornings of breath work. That was my introduction to breath work, which I still do almost daily now. So that was you know, another modality that's just been so powerful for me, breathwork, uh, you know, as you know, just amazing, amazingly powerful, and, um, and, um, you know, what, what obviously so much came out of all of these, but what came out of that, um, and, and actually, uh, the three nights of medicine for me didn't reveal a lot in the experience, um, there wasn't very much laughter like the first one it was sad and I, I really I, I, I cried I mean my I was like I was the cry guy in the room <laughs> uh, which is fine Um, it happened to be all men just coincidentally and the first one was all women coincidentally so that was very different and everything was different you know the shaman was different and the setting was different and it was um, but you know I wasn't getting a lot of downloads um, in the experience it was just like pure like just emotion like crying hysterically un- almost un not almost completely uncontrollably like almost like a baby when you see a baby that just you know can't even hold it together and um, that's that was the feeling and the shaman there so wisely helped me see which i kind of knew from the first experience and learning more but he helped me really solidify the notion that it's not so much about what's happening in the journey. Although of course that can be very powerful and mind opening, but the medicine is working. It's doing what it's doing and trust, trust. That's really one of the big pieces that came out of that second ceremony, trust and surrender. And obviously the notion of surrender I was familiar with, but just trust, um, the medicine is working and it it will reveal itself or that you're, you're, learnings and downloads will reveal themselves in the coming days, weeks. And they, and they definitely did. It was actually not until the third breathwork session. So that was literally the last like big event of that retreat where I realized it just kind of came to me, a fear of feeling trapped because I certainly in that, in that retreat, in many cases felt trapped. I never felt like it wasn't going to end like the first one, but the reason where I felt trapped was I was suffering so much in the journey and so much emotion. I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This, maybe this, maybe this plant medicine stuff's not for me. who, Who needs like, who needs this? But then I said, but wait a minute, if I don't do this, I have depression. Holy crap. Those are like two things that I don't want. I mean that's what I was feeling just in the experience. Obviously, I wouldn't be sitting here if I stuck with that feeling. But um, that was trapped. It was like door A depression, door B this suffering that I'm feeling right here in this moment. But even when that was happening, I didn't get it until, like I said, that last breathwork session of the last day, and then of course so much more continued to unfold. And um, um so and then I came back from that. And that's where I learned about then at that point, the Natural Medicine Health Act in Colorado that I started to become involved in. but um, but that's like sort of the next chapter. I didn't know if you wanted to reflect or.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's, that's amazing. Like, thank you for, you know, sharing so honestly about your experience. And I think this is very common that happens to people. We call this the ayahuasca afterglow, like four to six weeks, addictions, medications, chronic conditions normally alleviate in the first few weeks for you know for most of the people and they are like oh my god it's a miracle it's gone it's like oh like, <laughs> you know and then it creeps back as you were describing and I think there is several reasons for that but I think one of the reason for it is that the medicine shows you that this is how it feel and this is who you are without that you know so you can remember that powerful feeling that you haven't felt for how long for 20 years or maybe never in this way that feeling after the, your first ceremony when you didn't have that that shut down and when you had this full range of feeling and experiencing right so I think it serves as, as a remembering, as an anchor for us to, to really remember physically, in our somatically, emotionally, mentally, on every level, this is how it feels when I'm in, in my center, in my alignment, in my, you know, without this limitation, without this condition and stuff like that, and then, you know, as, as, as you, you know, as it starts creeping back, then again the contrast you know will be very strong as you mentioned you know it's a very strong contrast so your motivation is to find a way to get out of that again and permanently resolve it It will increase you know a lot after that and I think you know that this is where integration comes here and people who listen to my podcast they know that I'm like that's my obsession because As you were mentioning, childhood stuff, things come up suppressed, emotions come up, emotional release happening, you know, you are overwhelmed, memories surface, then you're starting to connect the dots and all that kind of stuff. And this is kind of uprooting the issue, takes some time. And I think that's what You know, after the ceremony, when people have a therapeutic container and guidance that assists them to do this type of processing, you know, and to really reveal, because as, as your shaman said, the medicine keeps working. It's not that, oh, you went home from the ceremony and goodbye, everything stops. No, it keeps unfolding right the whole whole uh scenario and 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 there's layers and layers and you can you you know once you get to the root and when you find the root that core wounding whatever that is and and you're able to like process that and integrate that then you know the consequence of that the symptoms completely disappearing you know but that can take some time um. a bit, especially with things that were so ingrained and were repeated for so many years you know like in your you know in your case your your system needs to revive or your nervous system needs to be or you know all that kind of thing which these medicines help you to do that but as you said it's not like boom, magic pill, and you know, tomorrow I'm like, oh, perfect, so did you go back to any medication after, you know, your experience at any point, point? and I know that you mentioned earlier when we were talking that you were um, participating or planning to participate in some ketamine-assisted therapy, so can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure, so um, I have, since I titrated off the meds for the first ceremony i've been medication free prescription medication free these are all medicines but yes the ones that you pick up at the drugstore (laughs) i've been free of those that's Uh, awesome so that's
0: that's that's like do you feel a relief do you feel proud of yourself do you feel more confident and empowered i mean that's such a huge deal just to you know for such a long time like how do you feel about that
1: Yes yeah thank you. Um I do feel proud um and again just I have to just feel compelled to say that doesn't mean that someone listening shouldn't should feel ashamed if they're on these medications but this is my story and but yes I, I'm happy that I'm off of them. Have I been tempted to go back? Yeah there have been times I've been tempted to go back because depression a month as you pointed out um a month after each of these and then I did a third ceremony in in August depression came back i mean it was almost like almost like clockwork not that i was waiting for it but it was like 30 days after and depression came back and so um so but i have remained committed for myself to stay off the uh, prescription meds and um i just want to reflect on one of the points you made and then get into you know kind of where i am now and and sharing some of the ketamine experience but in terms of, you know, feeling, quote, feeling, and the feelings and emotions that come out once you kind of uh, take the cork off the bottle, <laughs> and these, <laughs> whether it's within a journey or after the journey, and, you know, I shared that I, I i hadn't cried except for a handful of times at funerals, and, you know, a quick little little story on there, but about 10 years ago, my kids, they were young at the time, said, Dad, we've never seen you cry, and my wife said, oh, I know what makes them cry, reading The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. And I, I used to be a, read that book and I, I couldn't even not cry if I wanted to. And so my wife remembered that. And so the kids said, oh, come on, let's read The Giving Tree. We went about The Giving Tree and I think they were like eight and five or 10, So I don't know, You know, they were pretty young. And, I, and so they're literally like sitting behind me, their hot breath on my neck, like waiting for dad to cry. They didn't care about the story and I'm turning the pages, reading it, and I would have allowed myself to cry. Um, this is all obviously (laughs) pre-medicine I'm referring to 10 years ago, as I said, and, you know, especially when it gets to that page where the tree is just a stump and the old man's sitting on this. oh man, I well up when I think about it right now, but the tears did not come. And so they were very disappointed. I was disappointed too. Like that was like, holy crap, um, what's going on here? And so, um, I just mentioned that, well,, hey, it's kind of an amusing story, but to your point about feeling, and being on this journey is not even if you have the afterglow and you have those buoyant nights as I've had and and so many just good days and you know, day regular days because of this, um, you have to be ready to feel to feel to feel a, a lot, things that you've never felt, emotions you've never felt, memories coming back. And there's a wonderful um, psychedelic writer named Julia Bloom. She has a newsletter called Julia's Journeys. And she had a quote in one of her newsletters called The Purpose of Healing. And she says, healing is not about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. And I think about that so much in relation to everything I'm saying, and hopefully that resonates, I didn't write it, but I think about it all the time because um, it's about allowing those feelings and emotions, whatever they are, and not pushing them aside, making them go away with substances that aren't healing substances um, or just trying to suppress them. And, you know, parts therapy is all about being with your parts right? Those parts. And so my therapist, who's wonderful, um, is always encouraging me to do that and reminding me because even though I could say it here, you know, it's one thing to say it and then it's another thing to live it. It's and, and that was actually my intention going into my third ceremony, which is just allowing myself to be with my parts, allowing myself to give love to them and gain wisdom from them and learn from them and be with them. That's really kind of the essence of parts therapy, which aligns so well with psychedelic healing. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I had that third ceremony in, in August and I won't go into all the details about that. It was wonderful and amazing. I actually came into that one feeling great, but then about a month after that, so this is now like post labor day, September ish depression started coming back. Um, and uh, it, so it was pretty bad This this past and I, now we're coming like almost to the present you know i'm talking this past fall so you know september october november december and and of course option one was go back to an ayahuasca ceremony which i considered and i know i will do at some point option two was just let's go with it and right like This saying, let's let's just get better at feeling, even though as hard as it is. And I did a lot of that for sure, and continued integration. Um, But then I started learning about uh, ketamine therapy, um, which, uh, as you know, is not a plant medicine, but I like to think of it as, um, you know, we are made of plants. And so man and women created these in a lab. So it's not a plant medicine. No, I'm not going to say that, but, uh, Hey, we're human beings. We're pretty awesome. So we can create a medicine in a lab that can provide healing, true healing, not just suppressing symptoms, but deep healing then cool. Uh, so started researching that and I started ketamine therapy on January 4th. So intramuscular, so go into kind of a clinical setting. So there's no ceremonies. And, you know, I, I kind of brought my own ceremonial aspects into it. I mean, you can't bring in an altar and candles and <laughs> chanting, but, you know, I, I brought in, you know, some things that are meaningful to me and, you know, ceremonialized it as best as you can in that setting. And, um, it's the clinic. I went to six sessions over three weeks so twice a week, three weeks with increasing dosages, uh, the place I'm going to full you know passionate people, and but uh, you know uh, it's uh, very, very some you know similarities, and that is is a psychedelic experience, but many, many differences. Um, you know, there's really no diet. There's no, you know, I did my own prep, just bringing the knowledge I have of preparation and integration, but you know, the, the day of, it's kind of like, yeah, just don't eat for four hours and show up and get your shot. I mean, it could be just like that, but I did my best to, like I said, kind of bring my, some of the wisdom I gained from some experience. And so, um, I mean, really the morning that I woke up January 4th, I was being depressed and, and it was also uh, hopeful, but, um, you know, I just very hopeful that it would be, that it would work, quote, work. And, um that first session I did. Um, I, the best way I can describe it, and as you know, these are very hard to extra- describe these experiences, but you know it comes on very quickly in an intramuscular uh, two minutes. it starts. and the whole experience is only about an hour or so, seventy five minutes, maybe. The way I can describe it is that I, once I sort of was under, you know, uh, I could feel, I could feel the healing happening. That doesn't even begin to describe it. But that's the best way I can describe it. Like, at a deep, deep level, I'm like, something like healing's happening. I you know, I'm kind of repeating myself. But like, that's how just boom, like, I'm being healed. Wow. <laughs> um, but it's as you know, it's described as a dissociative medicine. So there's not a lot of even cognitive thinking that is even possible. And by the way, what I'm describing is intramuscular you know, heavy dose of ketamine, which is different than ketamine assisted psychotherapy, where you're taking a lower dose and able to talk. And I'm actually going to be doing that in about two weeks with my therapist. So
0: you are just like in a very deep state of like relaxation or meditation or something like that.
1: It's yeah, it's, it's very, very deep dissociative. I mean, it's very meditative. Um, It's very dreamlike. So Mm -hmm. when you're coming out of it, you're kind of like reflecting on it and then kind of like a dream, even like one, two, three hours later, it's already starting to fade away. Um, there's some one school of thought is that it kind of doesn't matter what you're thinking about doing. It's just like literally a very physiological thing that's happening by creating new neural pathways and building Denver, like just very like physiological, um, of course, more of the opinion as other the other school of thought, that it's both. It's physiological, but it's also what you bring into it and your intention and the integration coming out of it. Um, that resonates more with me, because I think that's more aligned with plant medicine than psychedelic healing in general. But,
0: so what happened, you know, when you got, like after the first day, like, did you feel any
1: different? Yeah, I felt difference immediately, like okay. immediately. Um, that afterglow that we have with plant medicine and psychedelic medicines, I certainly felt. But then two days later, I was back for number two, and then it's twice a week for three weeks. And um, that, uh, the the, the mood improvement, which is, I'd say, 99 to 100% from a depression perspective, has sustained. And then after your induction series, which is what this three-week period is called, then you can go as often as every three weeks for a booster. So then I went back three weeks later for a booster. And then actually this Friday, I have another booster. Um, And then you can continue that as long as you wish. And then I'm also now going to layer in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. That's where you get a a lozenge prescribed, yes, at a drugstore, a lower dose. But I can do that with my therapist, because when you're in the intramuscular piece you're not really even able to verbalize it's not a relational dialogue type of experience oh interesting
0: so basically the ketamine prevented you to kind of fall back that deeply but you have to kind of maintain it because you feel that it's also kind of fading same way as the ayahuasca was or or do you feel that it's more sustaining or what's your experience
1: sure so um Clearly, as I've, you know, my experience is relatively new. We're here in March, so it's only been two months. Um, so I haven't felt depression coming back since I started two months ago. Um, this, these booster shots are totally optional. And it, it's by no means that you must go every three weeks for the rest of your life, because I've met people who go less and less frequently and, may, and have stopped altogether. So I think it, it's free. It, it's very personal based on your experience, but um, but it's there and it's much more accessible in that there's no dieta, there's no preparation. And, and by no means am I saying that makes it better or worse than I, it's just different and more accessible on that side. On the other side, which is a whole totally different discussion, it's the accessibility is very challenging because it happens to be a incredibly expensive and that gets into equity and insurance and all that, you know, <laughs> but no, um, I
0: just want to point out just for the listeners, you know, that you were on those medication, the the Xanax and Rabotrine, was it right?
1: Olaf, yeah, Zoloft, Zoloft. yeah Yeah,
0: yeah. So for 20 and 10 years, you know, so one decade and two decades and you had, not that you didn't get better, but in a way, it's much worse, because you were like, I don't want to take this anymore, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, right, so, uh, and then, Three ayahuasca ceremony and three weeks of ketamine help you to fully come off of all of those meds and have you know the symptoms at bay, so you you feel completely different. So I just want this information for people to sink in because this is what what we are talking about, you know here that unfortunately allopathic medicine in terms of you know chronic disease and mental emotional problems is very, very ineffective, you know, as you can see, and not even talking about the side effects of that medications, you know, and and, and, and what, what was that? Like these have serious side effects. So um, it's, it's, that's just such a huge difference. That's just such a huge difference, right? If we put this on one side, 20 years of meds did nothing. And then you know a couple of sessions just like suddenly you know dramatically shifted the way you feel the you know the way you approach this whole thing and and and, and set you on a good path of of healing so this is this is amazing like like well done thank you for sharing
1: your experience yes yeah. thank you for recognizing it and calling it out because yeah that's certainly been the case you know completely life-changing and also
0: that you've been also in therapy your most of your life you know so and again you know psychotherapy counseling of course has many useful helpful uh, aspects you know but yeah, if only doing that is probably not going to be enough, you know, when we're dealing with trauma, you know, and, and and unconscious things that you are not aware, you cannot talk about stuff you are not aware of, you have no idea, you know, you cannot talk about it. And the big part of the stuff is the unconscious, right, which is the bigger part, which what we are not aware of. So um, yeah, this is this is just so so exciting, and uh, I assume that. But correct me if I'm wrong. That you know all this your personal experience also made you passionate about you know be part of this new legislation that is happening in your state. You want to tell us about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So last uh, I became aware of the Natural Medicine Health Act, Health Act or Proposition One Twenty Two last summer. Um, and I went to the site and they said, you know, sign them if you want to help. And I did. And I kind of forgot about it. And then one day they said, hey, we just got an, I got an email. It was like one o'clock. And they said, we just got enough signatures to be on the bill, you know, to actually be voted on. We're celebrating tonight in Denver, five o'clock. And it was about two o'clock and I live in Boulder and I had a really busy day and I was going out of town. And I said, I, I got to be there. And I just jetted down there. And um, that really was the starting point of my diving into doing whatever I could do so I became what was called an ambassador for Prop 122 so a lot of get out the vote acts and just talking to folks and going to events and we had a fundraiser at our house where I shared my story it was the first time I had shared my story publicly um and that also just revealed to me how um how healing it is to share my story, you know, publicly. And of course, I talk about it in therapy and and storytelling and the power of storytelling. So, you know, I'll get back to the legislation, but just in terms of my own personal healing. Um, and I think, you know, in this community, we kind of know that term storytelling and how powerful it is. And then I became aware of a nonprofit organization in Canada called Nikeon, n i k e a n dot org, and anyone who wants to share their story go right there um it's really or, or if you just want to see dozens or even hundreds of stories like rick doblin shares his story on that and uh so they do a really wonderful job just as you're doing today nina just you know prompting and reflecting and and then they publish these stories um and so that's one kind of cool piece that came out of my work on the bill just for my own healing but back to the legislation um You know, it passed 53 to 47% in Colorado, which is a huge margin versus the 50.5, 49.5, you know, razor thin margins that we see within our polarized society, 190,000 more yes votes than no. And I'll give you the highlights of the bill. I really was, I I had nothing to do with drafting it. So kudos to those who did, because they really, really thought through as much as they could Um, because it's impossible to foresee everything and unintended consequences. But one thing that they did was looked at what the state of Oregon did. So they passed similar legislation two years ago and looked at what, you know, some of the goods and bads. And guess what? We'll have some bads in ours as well. Interestingly, in the psychedelic community, there was a faction of people who voted no. People just like you and me, who are passionate about psychedelic healing, who we're very much against this bill, so it just shows that <laughs> no matter what <laughs> there could always be controversy. But it, it, the bill did pass, um, and the, the bill really takes into account not just legalization, but things like um, equity and um, respect for indigenous people and tribes. So. Um, getting a lot of input from that community. And so anyway, the highlights of the bill are that as of when the governor signed it, I think that was end of December, um, psilocybin became uh, decriminalized, legalized, and there there is some nuance there for personal use. So that means um, you can grow, cultivate, transport, and gift psilocybin and use psilocybin. That's completely legal. This bill does not at all include the buying and selling of medicines. This is not, as some people say, cannabis 2.0. There won't be dispensaries and things like that. So it's—it's there's no commerce around the buying and selling of medicines. Um, So that's on the personal use side, as it's called. And then there will be the regulated use side, which will be governance, regulations, guardrails around uh, the legal... You know the legal provision of um healers serving medicine for psilocybin journeys. Um, there will be provi- so
0: that's that's the therapeutic use, right? So the therapeutic use right. will be right regulated. And uh, who is doing this regulation? is it is it um who who is who is deciding what a therapeutic container should be or you know, these kind of things?
1: Right. So the first major milestone was the governor, Governor Jared Polis, um, appointing the Natural Medicine Health Board, which is 15 people of different backgrounds, you know, law, indigenous, Mm -hmm. medical, etc. So that's been appointed. And now they have about 16 months based on the bill to now create the regulation around that. Oregon is two years ahead of us. So they've now done that. And I can't speak as closely to what they've done because I'm just not as close to it. But um, so the answer to a lot of the questions that come up around this are, well, we don't know yet. Um, Some of it's baked into the bill. Some of it is not. Some of it's, hey, to be determined. Um, So my question is, because I'm not sure if I even
0: understand it correctly. So once it's legalized for, now we talk about the therapeutic use, right then there will be some rules how you can use it in in what way right some kind of and it will mean that if you don't use that way that would be illegal probably right while if you decriminalize it that means that there is no regulation in terms of how you can use it in a therapeutic form so i i think like you know that a lot of people as you said that even some therapists or people who work in the psychedelic space, they are not really for the legislation because they think that they should the plan should be just decriminalized, which it shouldn't have been criminalized the first place is just, Ridiculous, you know that you ban a plan and the use of the plan, and then you create a protocol how you can use that plan, and you make all the other things illegal, like you know, if a indigenous person not follows that protocol, that will be illegal to do it. You know what I mean, so what is your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, so yeah, everything you said is very valid, and even though I mentioned there's a faction of folks. Which is to your point, who and they're more on the decriminalization side. You know that there should not be regulations around this. I, I respect their opinion, um, but to answer your question more succinctly, um, so first of all, the, the, I'll just lay out a little bit more detail about let's and then circle back to your question. So, for example, um, one of the provisions is that no individual or company or entity can own more than five treatment centers and of course what is a treatment center and how does that operate well is to be determined um there will be provisions for you know the easiest path will be people who are have already have um like therapy degrees but then there are plenty of folks as you know who practice quote underground of course they should have never been made to be underground but <laughs> they've had to operate underground and now there, some of them are saying well hey i've been doing this work for 20 years now you're telling me i have to jump through these hoops and um, so I, I understand that frustration. Um, there will be provisions for folks with that type of experience to have an easier path and they won't have to go back to school and get a psychotherapy degree. Uh, there will be a path for them to you know, reach the status of being able to serve medicine. Um, one thing that's very different about Colorado versus Oregon is that there are provisions for um ceremonial settings, outdoor settings, group settings. So settings that are more aligned with, you know, the types of journeys that you and I are used to having. Whereas in Oregon, it's very clinical based. And whenever I talk about Oregon, it's with the utmost of respect because they were the first. So it's not like, hey, they messed up. Like they they got their bill passed. Now we got our bill passed. It's not perfect. Um, and they so <laughs> what's that? They are the pioneers. <laughs> that's, they are. That's right. And so, um, the next state will improve on Colorado. So it's respect all around. Um, but yes, there is that faction who are have those objections, of course, as being pro prop one twenty two. My personal feeling is we had to deal with what we had. Yes, these medicines never should have been criminalized, but we got this bill passed. And now that to me, that's a good thing, and we can, roll it out we can adjust we can iterate and hopefully provide as much you know respect for indigenous people for people who have been operating quote underground um and the goal right is to heal how can we get these medicines out in a way that can heal and the provision for example that says no more than five treatment centers prevents having like a walmart of <laughs> right treatment centers and and that's what we saw in cannabis you know big companies coming in and buying up Dozens of dispensaries and that type of thing.
0: So, uh, if people are interested in, you know, becoming part of their own state's legislation or, or, or part of that whole process or provide, you know, support for that or, you know, whatever way they can, they can do that. Like, what can people do? They can go to their own representatives or how does this start? You know.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, I, there are, I think, 10 or 11 other states right now that have legislation in the works. Um, and I won't claim to be an expert in other states, or I'm not even an expert in Colorado, though I'm you know fairly well versed in Colorado. Yeah, reach out to your representatives, do your research. It won't be that hard to find because this is ongoing legislation. Um, there's a good um, uh, online publication called Marijuana Moment. So it's, as marijuana in the name of it, they cover a lot of psychedelics. That's a good newsletter, like just lots of good updates on what's happening. Um, you know, get on their newsletter. That's a good resource. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't have any like magic uh, words, but just lean in, like research, find out what's going on in your state. There are organizations that are going to be behind this, I you know, and support it however you can. Right. Yeah, join
0: forces that are already marching into this. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. Um,
0: and um, um, also, as as you mentioned at the beginning of our talk, you have a company and you are uh, focusing on marketing and digital web develop. What is that exactly? <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. So my company is called Gloss, and we've been in an operation for twelve years. Um, and we do web development, web design, e-commerce development, and a variety of digital marketing services like search engine optimization and content marketing, social media marketing, and anything to get eyeballs on your (laughs) brand. We've been, we've been doing that for a long time. And part of my journey was when I, getting back to the beginning definition of insanity, even though, you know, I'm proud of my company and I can say that I, I like it, but, it just never felt like it was really igniting my passion. And so my journey helped me realize that, but now bring you know my area of expertise and marry that with wanting to serve. I mean, that's just a, just a term that I say so much. We all say, you know, I wanna serve, I wanna help, I wanna heal. Coming out of one of the ketamine sessions, it was just like, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, man, we just, we got to, Oh, like we gotta do whatever we can to get education, raise awareness, funding, you know, talk about equity. How like how do we make sure that whatever your socioeconomic status is, you have access to these medicines, whatever that looks like, especially in the absence of being covered by insurance, because these are still federally illegal, just like cannabis is federally illegal. So, you know, aligned with what I'm doing for my business, um. I uh, am on the leadership team of the Colorado Psychedelic Society. So that's a nonprofit. And these societies exist all over the world. Um, I'm a co-founder and on the board of directors for the Psychedelic Business Association. And I'd love to give the website address, but we're building the website now and don't have the address, but that should be up (laughs) soon. And that will be similar to like a chamber of commerce for psychedelic practitioners and businesses, co-founders. Are in Oregon, providing things or either resources or direct access to things like insurance. I don't mean health insurance, but you know things like that. I'm
0: um, definitely yeah, gonna give all of all of these websites. You know, in the description of the podcast and. Uh, oh. Uh, Yeah, if for the listeners, if you need any marketing, web design, branding, all that kind of stuff, like Greg loves loves to work with people who are you know into plant medicine, so we can mix you know the two things together. And uh, yeah, I've seen some of his work, and he is very excellent and has a great team. So you can you can uh, check out his work. You know we're gonna put your website and everything, and I think this is great because definitely a lot of us are lacking on that you know in this field
1: yes yes i appreciate that so much and um whatever we can do to serve and then um whether it's solo practitioners in this space or you know more established businesses clinics even public companies we work with a few of those so whatever we can do to serve and help raise awareness and heal that's (laughs) that's what i'm passionate about
0: you thank you so much for coming today and sharing your journey and sharing you know all these wonderful things you know that you experienced recently and uh, for all the listeners you know uh, keep tuned in for our next episode and also we're gonna do a workshop in may in connection with the plantmedicinepath.com about emotional healing and emotional release so it's a must for anybody who um, suffers from emotional dysregulation suppressed emotions disconnect you know from emotions that's where we're gonna discover you know how to break through that and how to process emotions in a healthy way and that will start in may so if you go to the plantmedicinepath.com and the workshops then you will see there the art of emotional integration and also if you're interested in ayahuasca assisted therapy then you can contact me and uh, yeah if you if you want to be on the podcast also contact me i'm also looking for amazing and interesting people and uh, yeah again thank you Greg for coming is there anything that you would like to shout out and share with the world before you wrap it up for today
1: yeah first of all thank you this has been an absolute pleasure you've been so easy to talk to and easy to share with so thank you so much for that Um, I'll give one more shout out to a nonprofit that's made a huge difference in my life and it's called Empathic Health so it's empathic.health so it's a nonprofit psychedelic healing community that's been a huge part in my integration provide support community integration resources all kinds of you know friendships love it's awesome so if you're cool with that would love to have that be a, a shout out it's here to serve so that's what we're all here to do
0: thank you greg and blessings on your path and i'm sure that we're gonna talk more you know in the future thank you for coming
1: thank you so much. much